I believe that Revelation chapter 6 documents a massive end times deception by Satan right before the tribulation begins. My basis for believing this are the words of Jesus himself in the Olivet Discourse of Matthew chapter 24. We'll talk about it on this week's episode of Revelation Unveiled on Faith by Reason. Welcome to Faith by Reason. The website behind it all, as always, is faithbyreason.net. There you will find hundreds of hours of study material, blogs, podcasts, and video. And we are continuing our study of the book of Revelation, and we are continuing our look at the tribulation. That cataclysmic uh, period of time that constitutes the last seven years of man's rule on the earth, man and Satan's rule on the earth. And I'm focusing on the time immediately before the tribulation, and that's what I believe that uh, Revelation chapter 6 is. Now, and, and it's controversial. I absolutely admit that. Not quite as controversial as my take on the rapture or, or Genesis chapter 6, but pretty controversial in that it's not orthodox. It's not the common belief that most uh, Christians and Christian commentators have about this period of time. In fact, I, that's why I spent last episode giving that giving you that traditional point of view so just to be fair and and because it very well could be right people have believed it for many years and that traditional view is that revelation chapter 6 is either the beginning of the the tribulation period or it's a big picture overview of the entire tribulation period so those are the two views but the one thing that those two views have in common is that this period of time is god's judgment on the earth that revelation chapter 6 represents uh, God's judgment on humanity and the world for all the evil that's been done. And that's where I differ. That's one of the big differences in, in my uh, theory about Revelation chapter 6. I do not believe that Revelation chapter 6, that the events there are directly from God. I actually believe they are from Satan, that they are a satanic deception. And as I said, my reason for believing that, aside from you know me just loving to be controversial, but in all seriousness, my reason for believing that, I have many, and they are all biblically based and logically based, but mostly biblically based. And the one I want, and the biblical basis that I want to begin with are again, the words of Jesus himself. Because if I can show you, convince you, or at least get you to uh, understand the point of view that uh, the words of Jesus really capture this period of time in the deception that I want to talk about, then I believe you'll have an easier time understanding, if not accepting, my view of Revelation chapter 6. So without further ado, let's just get into it by reading uh, excerpts from Revelation, excuse me, from Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse. And I will not be reading the entire chapter, um, but just certain sections that are germane to uh, the points I'm trying to make, and I will let you know what those points are. You'll see them on the screen. And here we go. Starting at verse 3. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but, come to pass, but the end is not yet. For a nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Down to verse 15. 
Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of the house. Verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation, such as, as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor will nor shall there ever be. Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man on the clouds of heaven with coming on the clouds of heaven, excuse me, with power and great glory. Verse 36. But of that day and hour, no, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will, it, will the coming of the Son of Man be. Okay, so admittedly I did a lot of jumping around in that chapter, but to be honest, so did Jesus. Uh, this is not a linear narrative. If you look at Matthew 24, Jesus does quite a bit of jumping around. He talks about stuff happening at the beginning of the tribulation and before the tribulation, then at the end of the tribulation, then back in the middle of the tribulation. Uh, he kind of goes back and forth. So I, I'm not necessarily trying to cherry pick verses, lest I be accused of that. What I'm trying to do is just trying to make cohesive the, the points that I want to bring forward. But, you know, those of you who believe that I'm skipping stuff that's important, I, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to argue with you. Like I said, this is speculation on my part, but I think there's reason behind it. And hopefully you will understand that better as we uh, go along, as I uh, really try to reveal to you my theory um, of what's happening here. And another thing to keep in mind with Matthew 24 is the limited knowledge that Jesus had. Yes, that's right. Jesus did not know everything. We know this. The whole point of the book of Revelation, as we talked about in the very first episode, is this is God revealing Jesus to Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why? Because during Jesus' time on earth, he knew a lot. He was the son of God and God revealed a lot to him, but there was still, there was not enough time for God to reveal everything to him in the 30 plus years that he was on earth. And in fact, we know this because in the, um, in the book of Mark, when Mark documents this episode, this Olivet Discourse, he, he um, gives that verse the last passage that I said a little differently. He said, of that day and hour, no one knows, not the angels of heaven, not even the son, but the father only, which is Jesus admitting that there are things that the father know, knew at that time when he was on earth that Jesus didn't know. So again, that's part of the context we need, we need to keep in mind. Jesus knew that these things were going to happen, but he didn't necessarily know everything about the order in which they were going to happen, but just that they were. So that's kind of my... My, my reasoning for, for jumping around a bit. But as with everything else, it is totally up to you to do your own due diligence and uh, see how much this makes sense to you and how much it fits that's on you. But my responsibility is to tell you uh, what I believe and why I believe it. All right, so as long as we're talking context, before we start breaking these verses down, let's just go over again how to properly interpret the Bible. I talk about this quite a bit on Faith by Reason. I have blogs and podcasts on biblical interpretation. Not that I'm, no, I'm, I'm the end-all, be-all authority in biblical interpretation, but I think that there are some basics that if you want to have any type of accurate understanding of what you're reading, you need to keep these things in mind. And, and it, it, the main thing is context. If you understand context, then 
much of the Bible will make more sense to you because you'll be able to answer some simple questions about the passage and and by answering them you really it'll keep you on track it'll, it'll, they can serve as guardrails what do I mean by context when you're looking at the context of a scripture you need to ask yourself a few questions number one who is speaking number two who is being spoken to and number three to what degree is what's being spoken about applicable to your life and your current situation so let's just do this with the Olivet Discourse. Who is speaking here? Well, Jesus, obviously. Who is being spoken to? The disciples. This is very important. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. He's speaking to a group of first century Jews. He is not speaking to the 21st century church. He is not speaking to Gentiles. He is speaking to um, the, the, the uh, his Jewish disciples. What is the circumstance he's speaking to? The disciples asked him questions and he is answering those questions. He, the questions are, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Those are the three topics that Jesus is covering. He's only covering those topics and he's covering from the, covering them from the standpoint of things that will be understood by first century Jews. Actually, if you go up a couple verses, uh, uh, chapter 24, verses 1 and 2, they're specifically talking about the temple and the destruction of the temple and then, then the disciples come and ask him about the end times. And if you want to know more about what Jesus says about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, then you need to go to the book of Luke, where Luke has a similar passage. I don't, I don't believe it's the exact same passage. I don't think it's Luke's interpretation of this same event. I think this happens um, differently at a slightly different time because the people who ask him the questions in Luke are not the same as the people who ask the questions here. Jesus speaks publicly about the temple in 70 AD in, in Luke, but then here in Matthew 24, this is a private meeting, a private briefing with his disciples. So I want to differentiate between the two because some people think that the passage in Luke, I think it's, I think it's Luke's uh, chapter 17, is very similar to the Olivet Discourse, but it is not the same. Luke is, for, is focused more on the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Okay, with all that out of the way, let's just start breaking down these verses. And I'm going to start with uh, with verse four. We pretty much covered uh, verse three because that's the context of, you know, when would these things be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. This is vitally important, folks. This is critical to understanding what I, my whole point in, in what I believe is going on in Revelation chapter six. Jesus says to heathen, no one deceives you. So the disciples ask him about the end times, the the sign of your coming at the end of the age. Understand what that end of the age is. He's not, they're not talking about the end of the world. Your translation might say end of the world. End of the age means the end of the age of man. These are, again, Jewish disciples. They are waiting for the coming of the kingdom. This is like the biggest thing, the most the biggest thing that they have been anticipating the entire, not just their lives, but for generations, the Jews have been waiting for the kingdom to happen, the kingdom where they rule the earth, where the Messiah rules the entire world from the throne of David in Jerusalem and the Jews rule with him. So they've been waiting for this for so long. And they, that's what they're asking Jesus. When is this happening? When is this age going to end? And we begin the end, the beginning of the kingdom age, or as we would call it, the millennial age. So that's, that's what they're asking him. They are asking, when is the millennium? When is this age going to end? And when is the millennium going to begin? So keep that in mind. That is a context. And what is the first thing Jesus says, says about this, about when this end of the age will happen? He says, take heed that no one deceives you. So, so he is couching everything around deception. Again, 
vitally important. Please keep this in mind. I know I'm being repetitive, but it's really, really, really important. If you understand this, I think you will really get where I'm trying to go with this. Take heed that no one deceives you. So what does that mean? That means that the, the next things that are going to be coming out of Jesus's mouth are about deception. He says, beware of deception. So he's going to talk about the deception. And here we go. So everything after this, at least for this section, is about deception. Take heed that no one deceive you. Verse 5, for many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and will deceive many. So the first deception is false Christ. People coming in his name, saying that they are the Christ or the, the anointed one. They are the Messiah. Okay, that's one. Deception number two. Then you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come, must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So deception number two, wars, rumors of wars. But these things are not the end. I'm going to come back to this because this is uh, the, the vitally important part. Number two, the, the second most vitally important. Number one is deception. Number uh, the second part uh, that's that's really important is part two of verse six. But let's keep going. Verse seven: For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. I think it's a continuation of the war, and there will be famines and pestilences. There, so there's another deception. Will be famines. Another deception. Number three will be famines. Deception number four will be pestilences. And earthquakes in various places. These are the beginning of sorrows. And so another deception will be earthquakes. Let's keep going. Verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to, tri to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And you will, many will be offended. You will betray each other and hate one another. And false prophets will arise and deceive many. So this, these are martyrs. They were. He was saying that Christians, believers, they're not crusaders. I will say believers because Christians, there were no Christians yet. Jesus hadn't died and rose again, but he's talking about believers will be uh, driven, uh, delivered up and killed and hated and for his namesake. So he is saying believers will be killed. These are martyrs. So let's go back up. Disciples say, when is the end going to come? When is the end of this age happening? Jesus says deception is, is happening. De number one is deception. De deception number one, false Christ. Deception number two, wars. Deception number three, famines. Deception number four, pestilences. Deception five, earthquakes. Uh, deception six, I guess you could say martyrs. But all these things are are couched in the terms of this of deception. Now let's go back up to verse six. The second part it says, "See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet." Let me say that again. The end is not yet. What is Jesus saying? He is saying that these deceptions are not the end. The disciples asked him, what will be the time of the end? And of course, that time of the end is the tribulation. It's the last seven years. The disciples know this. They know that the last seven years of human history before the millennium age, before the kingdom, is a tribulation. That is the end. But Jesus says that deceptions will happen that are not the end, that people will believe are the end. That's the deception. They, people are going to be deceived into believing that events are happening that are the end, but they are not. They are a deception. And what are these deceptions? False Christs, wars and rumors of wars, famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places, and the crying out of the martyrs. These are not the end. They are a deception of the end. Who is the deception coming from? Is it coming from God? No. God can't. God can allow deception, but he does not cause deception. Who causes deception? Well, our spiritual enemy, Satan. These are deceptions from Satan. But I'm, I'm going to keep making that point, but let's get back up because I want to do a little bit of, uh, play a little bit of match game. 
So what do we have here? Jesus said deception, false Christs, wars, famines, pestilences, earthquakes. Well, in the last episode, we were looking at Revelation chapter 6. Let's go over what happens in Revelation chapter 6 as he's opening the seals. Seal number one, the Antichrist. What's that? A false Christ. What was deception number two? Or, or what, was, what was the next thing that happened? The next rider was the red horse. There's some called war, which is fine. I, I believe there's an aspect of war too, but I think it's more to it than that. But let's, for now, let's call it war. And what happens, the, the next horseman that comes out is famine. The next horse is death with pestilences, among other things. Then there is the, the fifth seal with the martyrs. Then you have the sixth seals, earthquakes in various places, among other things. That the powers of the heavens being shaken. We talked about, we saw that a little later on in uh, verse 29 that, you know, the sun will be darkened, moon will not give its light, stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Those things are all happening. So, what is Jesus saying and how does it match up? I think it matches up pretty clearly. The deceptions that Jesus talks about match up almost verbatim with the four horsemen. Almost. The first false Christ, Antichrist, same thing. Wars and rumors of wars, red horse. Uh, famines, black horse. Pestilences, death, the, the, uh, the pale horse. Earthquakes in various places, that's seal number six. And of course, before that, the, the martyrs. But, and so Jesus actually is, is talking about the earthquakes of the sixth seal before the fifth seal of the martyrs. But again, like I said, it matches up pretty clearly, not cleanly. But as I said earlier, this is Jesus kind of doing almost a stream of consciousness of all of the things that are going to be happening in the end times. And it's not linear. So, you know, if you want to argue against what I'm saying, because... The order isn't exact, then so be it. I'm not going to argue against you. But I think that if you look at the preponderance of evidence, what Jesus is talking about and his deceptions match up pretty clearly with the four horsemen, with all the seals. And again, you could argue even more vociferously that I have to go all the way to verse 29 before I um, talk uh, before I um, can match up the stars falling from heaven and the powers of the heavens being shaken, which we see at the opening, also at the opening of the sixth seal, along with the earthquake. And you know, again. I'm not being dogmatic. I'm just giving you my my reasons and my evidence. And if it doesn't match up with you, if you, if you think it's um, not worth um, really considering, then so be it. But I, I need to give you all the evidence that I can here in Matthew 24 that I think matches up. And I think that it matches up pretty cleanly to the point where I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus talks about deceptions and they mirror to a tremendous degree those four horsemen. The four horsemen are happening at the end times. Jesus is talking about the end times. And I think that there is a pretty significant match here. And the point of all of this is that Jesus calls it a deception. He says these it's, it's a deception of the end. The end is not yet. These things must come to pass, but these things are not the end. They are a deception of the end, a deception by Satan. And that is my entire point. As I stated a couple of episodes ago, the whole point of this deception by Satan is to create a false apocalypse so that he could usher in his false Christ and his false Holy Spirit, the Antichrist and the false prophet to make this unholy trinity. I, I, again, I made the, the point before that this is Satan's dispensation, his mini dispensation where people will have the opportunity to finally have the, what they've been asking for. They've wanted to Man has wanted to kick God off his throne, off the throne of earth, 
and and and, and have their own way. And well, now they, they will have their opportunity to be ruled by Satan. And it's going to be horrible. It's going to be a, a bloodbath. We're going to talk about it in detail over the, the next uh, several episodes. But this is where it begins. This is a satanic deception. And Jesus is warning that this deception is not the end. Therefore, if it's if the tribulation is the end and this is happening and this is not the end, then that means it's happening before the tribulation. And I believe it's happening immediately before the tribulation. So I believe, again, that the six seals, the four horsemen and um, the other two seals are occurring before the tribulation period. And of course, since the disciples asked him specifically about what the time of the end will be, Jesus Jesus should actually tell them what the real uh, beginning of of the tribulation would be or, or what really to look for. And of course, he says that in verse 15, he says, therefore, we see the abomination of desolation, one of the titles of the Antichrist spoken of by Daniel. Then, you know, get out, get out fast, because that's going to be when the end, the last three and a half years of this period are, are going to happen. So this deception is it's going to happen before the tribulation. It might even um, bleed into the first few years. But we do know that at that midpoint, that three and a half year point, when the Antichrist sets himself up in the temple, and we'll talk about that down the road a bit, and he sets him up to be sets himself up to be worshipped. That's when Jesus said, "Well, that's the end. That's when you guys need to, you know, just leave immediately because you're going to be in big trouble because that's when uh, this horrible period is going to start to climax." So he tells you what's not the tribulation, which I believe are the first six seals. And then he tells you what's going to happen here in the, in the midpoint when things are going to get really bad, which is the abomination of desolation. And here's something very, to keep in mind that's very interesting. is You may say, well, why would why would Satan's false apocalypse work? It's going to work partially well, for two reasons. Number one, because man wants it. Man has been looking for a, a world leader, a world government that is without God for since the days of Babel. And the other reason is that God is going to ensure it happens. Now, God does not deceive. However, God can allow or facilitate a deception justly. I'll give you an example from the Old Testament, and then I'll give you God's promise that he's actually going to do it in the New Testament. If we go to the Old Testament, in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 22, very interesting thing is happening here. There's an evil king of Israel called Ahab, and God has decided that Ahab's evil rule that says run its course it's time for him to, to to be taken out and god has a council meeting with his angels this is fascinating stuff that i would wish i could spend more time on in the, the council of angels that god has god's holy council is it's like a, an amazing amazing idea that if you're interested in i, I would uh, highly recommend reading the unseen realm by michael heiser fantastic book on this but god has a council of angels and 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 we can be part of that council. And again, Heiser gets into that into in his book. But the point here is that God has said in his council, it's time for Ahab to be taken out. And how do we want to do it? And you can see that the angels were having a discussion. They were going back and forth about who is going to, who, how, it's, how it's going to happen. And then in verse 21 says, then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. So what's happening here is God says, hey, it's time for Ahab to go. How, how are we going to take him out? And the, and, and the angels have a little debate amongst themselves. And then one angel came forward and said, you know, God, I'll do it. And God said, how, how are you going to do it? 
And he says, I will be a lying spirit or a spirit of deception in the mouth of his prophets. And, you know, basically put him into a situation where he's taken out. And not only does God say it's okay, he says the angel's going to succeed. So God has, while God does not lie and he does not deceive, he can facilitate it. It's right here in the Bible. And furthermore, there is another um, chapter in, in the New Testament where God specifically talks about this period of time. And he talks about how he will, there will be a deception that he will send. And it says, let's go to, um, see second Thessalonians chapter two, starting at verse seven, it says for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restrained will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus, who, whom the Lord Jesus will destroy with the breath of his mouth and, and bring him to nothing with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders. And with every unrighteous deception among those who are perishing, they perish because they did not accept the love of truth in order to be saved. Verse 11, for this reason, God sends in a strong delusion so that they will believe what is false. Or your, your translation say, may say that they will believe the lie. What is it saying here? That God is going to send them a delusion. Does that mean that God is lying to them? No, what he is doing is it's just, he said, it says here, because they didn't accept the love of truth, there's nothing left but delusion and lies. So God will send them a strong delusion so that, so that they were going to believe what is false because they've rejected truth. Because they've rejected truth, God can justly send them a delusion so that he will believe Satan's lies. Again, not God's lies. God doesn't lie, but he's, a, but he is turning, he's basically giving man over to Satan during this period of time. And it talks very clearly in the first ver voice, verses I was reading that the spirit, the mystery of lawlessness, which is the, the this antichrist spirit, because he's called the lawless one, is already at work. And this was in the first century. He's So Satan has been trying to bring his antichrist to the throne for centuries. We talked about this a couple episodes ago. However, when the restrainer is taken out of the way, which I believe is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the only, God is the only one who can restrain Satan. And the Holy Spirit is the only aspect of the Godhead that is currently on earth and that will currently be on, will, will be on earth at the end times before the rapture of the church that when he's taken out of the way, then Satan will have free reign and they're going to believe a deception. What deception? The deception we've been talking about here. I firmly believe that this is the deception that they are going to believe because they don't accept the love of truth. They didn't accept, they didn't accept Jesus. They did not become Christian. They did not have the Holy Spirit living in them. So when the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way, there's nothing left but lies. And I think this matches up pretty clearly that so not only will Satan deceive the world with his false apocalypse, which I'm going to get into you know, vivid detail in the next several episodes, but man will believe it. We see that in Revelation chapter six, towards the end, when the sixth seal is open and all the, the cosmic disturbances happen and this incredible earthquake that moves all the mountains and islands out of their place. People don't repent. They don't say, oh my goodness, you know, we're, we're, we're you know, experiencing the wrath of God because they're not, they, they, they believe they will are, but they don't, even, even though they believe they're experiencing the wrath of God, the wrath of the lamb, which by the way, is that, as I said, is another major proof point that this is not from God, but it is from Satan. We'll get to that when I, when um, I, I get to that episode, a few episodes from now, they don't repent. They just run to the mountain and, and try to hide. Why? Because they are, they are completely deceived. They are completely turned over to Satan. They are believing his lie and his lie of the false apocalypse. And I'm going to, again, spend several episodes breaking this down. The lie is that all these bad things that are happening, the four horsemen, the earthquakes, everything is happening is 
is from God, that God is the enemy and he is doing this to man. And of course, they, since there's a false apocalypse, you need to have that false savior, the Antichrist who's going to come in and say that, you know what, all these bad things are coming from the God of heaven, but I'm your true God. I'm the one who can save you from it. Come worship me. And then that's kind of a big picture synopsis of what I believe is happening and what I'll be detailing it. And again, I'll be getting into the finer details over the next few episodes. So I want to wrap this up with one of the um, last sections of Matthew 24 that I quoted that kind of may seem like a, a non-squeater, but trust me, when we get to the, when I get to breaking down what I believe is happening with the fourth horse, fourth horseman of death, this is going to make much more sense to you. So let me just read that again. This is at uh, verse uh, 36. Sorry, I make that verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the son of man be. For as the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. So what does this mean? Well, the classic explanation of this is that this is business as usual. That as the days of Noah where everyone was marrying and eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, but until the flood came. So that must mean that, you know, it's just business as usual. People are carrying on, they're, you know, having parties and eating and watching the football game on Sundays and sending their daughters out to be married and so forth and so on. And then suddenly, look, oh my God, look, it's Jesus. You know, because that's how it'll be that way before the coming of the Son of Man. Yeah, that's fine. That's how I've heard it taught before, except there's a huge, huge, obvious problem that people seem to miss. The the If this is right before the coming of Jesus, before the second coming, where Jesus comes in the clouds in the battle of Armageddon, if you're, it's not accurate to describe that as business as usual. What's going to be happening immediately before the second coming, you are going to have the bowls of wrath who have just been poured out, which we'll see in uh, chapters 15, 16, and yep, yeah, in chapters 15 and 16 of Revelation, where you have 100 pound hailstones, the size of beach balls raining down. You have darkness so that, that is, is so supernaturally strong that it causes people pain. People are going to have boils all over their bodies. All the water on earth is going to be turned to blood. Every river and ocean is full of blood. You're going to have you will have these demonic locusts that were at, that have been out. You will have uh, demon armies killing people. You have trees and green grass burned up. You have all these things happening. It is not going to be business as usual. It's going to be bat bleep crazy. I'm not going to use the expletive, but the time right before Jesus comes back to earth is going to be the craziest time you ever you can imagine. Jesus says himself that that at this time will be a great tribulation. A time of great tribulation unlike anything that's ever been seen before folks the time right before jesus comes back is the opposite of business as usual so what does jesus mean when he talks about the days of noah well remember who he's talking to he is not talking to 21st century christians he is talking to first century jews or jews of the what they call the second temple period the second temple being the the uh, temple that was rebuilt after the um the babylonian captivity and the second temple jewish people had what they call Second Temple Jewish literature, that was the Septuagint version of the of the Bible, written in Greek, and they also had several other um, non-canonical books that they took very seriously. One of them being the Book of Enoch, and I'll talk about that a lot more again when I talk about the Fourth Horseman. But here's what's important: He is not saying business as usual. So what does he what does he say, what does he mean by that? Well, if you talk to a first century Jewish person, put yourself in their mind, put, put yourself in their shoes. When someone mentions the days of Noah, what do they, what, what, what image is going to come to their mind? Well, 
again, you have to have the supernatural worldview, which the first century Jews had. And in the supernatural worldview, Genesis chapter 6, the main thing that the flood was all about was these creatures called the Nephilim. What are the Nephilim? I've talked about them quite a bit on Faith by Reason. It's very controversial. Every time I bring it up, I get a bunch of people telling me that I'm a heresy, so forth and so on, but I, I disagree completely. Now, it's not, and it doesn't, again, it doesn't matter what you and I believe. What matters is what the people Jesus was talking to believed. And at the time that Jesus was talking to, at, at this time, during the first century, there, the people there uh, of, of this time believed in the veracity of the book of Enoch and the book of Enoch talks in great detail about the Nephilim and what they were and what they were not and who the sons of God were in Genesis chapter 6 it says the sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful or comely, or comely and were desirable and they came and they took them as wives and the union produced what was called the Nephilim the Nephilim were the reason for the flood who were the sons of God. They were not the sons of Seth, which is the common viewpoint in the church. The sons of God were angels. Benaiha Elohim is a title of angels. Angels came down and they took on, they married or had intercourse with human women and they produced hybrids called the Nephilim who were happened to be giants. They were very large individuals. Goliath of, of David and Goliath fame was a Nephilim that happened obviously um, after the flood, but the Nephilim were on earth in the, in the days of Noah and also after that, according to Genesis chapter 6. But again, it doesn't matter if you believe this. It doesn't matter if you believe in the sons of Seth or if you believe that they, that that these were angels who had intercourse with women, which is what I believe, and, and, and spawned the Nephilim. It doesn't matter what you and I believe. What matters is what the disciples believe. In Second, in second Temple Jews, first century Jews, when you say the days of Noah, they think Nephilim. That's what it's going, and they're going to be a part of this end times deception and we're going to talk about them quite a bit more when we get to when i when i start breaking down what's happening uh, with um the fourth horseman of death but i want to give you a primer here so that you'll be ready for it so it won't catch you off guard so that's that all right um i am past the half hour mark so i want to start wrapping up and talk about what's going to be happening in the next episode but first let me summarize all of a discourse is Jesus giving a private briefing to his inner circle of disciples, telling them what's going to be happening at the time of the end, at the last seven years of human history called the tribulation. And he says that before the end starts, there will be a great deception of false Christ, wars, famine, pestilence, earthquakes, the powers of the heavens being shaken. And of course, the events that are, that are, that are, are going to be mirrored in uh, that happened um, during the time of Noah. These are deceptions. Jesus says it very clearly. Those are the first words out of his mouth. And I believe Jesus. So he is saying this is a deception. And I believe that the deception he's talking about matches so closely with Revelation chapter 6 that I, it's, I don't believe it's a coincidence. I believe they're the same event. And that's why I believe that the four horsemen and the other two seals are all a part of a satanic deception. And I'm going to begin breaking it all down starting next week. So in next week's episode, we are going to begin, I'm going to begin giving you my breakdown of this deception, starting with the first horseman, the Antichrist. And uh, we may or may not get to the second horseman. We'll see how long it takes. But starting next episode, we're going to start looking at the six seals as the satanic deception. I believe they are. Okay. Um, thank you for listening and watching. I appreciate it. If you have comments, if you think that 
this um, this has merit. If you think I'm completely off my rocker, <laughs> that's fine. But comment either way. Let me know. Give me reasons. Don't just say you're wrong. Say um, here's why I believe it. But why I believe you're wrong or right. Either way, um, please subscribe to Faith by Reason here by uh, hitting the subscribe button here on YouTube. Hit the like button and the share button and all the other buttons. And please also subscribe on faithbyreason.net by putting your email into the right navigation area. And I will talk to you again next week when I begin to break down Revelation chapter 6 from the point of view of it being a satanic deception. Talk to you next week.